let's, let me uh, read from uh, God's word today uh, in Luke chapter 17. It says this, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come home from the field, Come at once and recline at my table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done that which is our duty. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's really wonderful to be with everyone here this morning and to see some old friends that are in town. Um, If we've not met yet, my name is Ken, and I am so grateful that you decided to worship with us, whether you're online or or here in, in person. And I know that you will be blessed by being with this wonderful Crosswinds family. I, I think you'll be blessed by getting to know them and, and maybe someday serving with them. And in that video, you saw three young women that are um, in our church. Uh, ZNA was a leader and brought two of her friends that are not in church to the camp. And, and they experienced a, a wonderful week this week um, that, that it was life-changing, I think, to all three girls. And it happened because Nigel and Jason were willing to humbly go and serve as leaders at that camp. It took people like us to bait hooks and to take fish off the line. I mean, nothing special, but it, it took servants. And um, our, our message uh, title for today is Unentitlement, or Unentitled. Uh, entitlement is the belief that one deserves special treatment or privileges. And, you know, often millennials they have gotten a bad rap for being an entitled generation. And actually, I love our millennials like Jason and Annika and Abdu and Natasha and, and Charnay, although you're like maybe Gen Z, but all of them um, and, uh, who, who serve others and, and are kind to others and, and make a difference in our church and, and in this world. And, and my own children are millennials, and I remember when they were about... Uh, to graduate high school, I, I said, you know, your generation has a rep for being entitled and unwilling to work. I said, go prove everybody wrong, be reliable, show up on time, be accountable, and do just 10% more than any of your peers, and you'll be so successful, you can't even imagine it. And they have. They've enjoyed successful careers and have been able to do good things to serve other people. I, I love millennials, and I, I see so much promise in them for our future. But no one really likes people that act entitled, do they? They, 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 they don't like entitled people. And, and there, there is a little bit of truth to the millennial rep that they have. Um, but where did the millennials learn entitlement? Where did they learn it? Maybe from their entitled boomer parents? We, we wanted instant gratification, and, and we, wa- we taught our kids to, to want it too. We wanted our kids to be special, and so we gave them trophies for every little thing they did. I still remember the day that the kids threw out like five big garbage bags full of huge trophies that they got from just participating in sports and other activities. The, actually, the trophies meant nothing to them. They, they knew that it was all bogus. It didn't mean anything. You know, I still have this little medal that I, I, I received uh, for winning my district um, track meet in the pole vault in high school. Uh, you know, and, and it means something to me. I can't throw it away because I, I worked 
four years for that little piece of metal, right? Um, uh, and, and, you know, often millennials grew up constantly being given everything they wanted because their parents wanted it for them because they wanted them to have things that they didn't have, which isn't bad, but it, it, it had the wrong effect. And then um, the media, they constantly saw that wealthy, successful, and attractive, attractive people got special treatment. And cultural heroes for them were people like Paris Hilton and, and the Kardashians, who seemed to have everything for accomplishing nothing, right? Um, so then, uh, and, and as parents, sometimes we acted like helicopters trying to protect them from all the problems in the world that were actually there to help them grow up. And it ended up teaching them falsely that the world revolved around them, and then they hit an adult age, and they were lost adulting because we had not prepared them for it. They're also the first generation in this new world called social media where people could share their lives and instantly receive feedback. And this has given us all a sense of self-importance that is unrealistic. I mean, who really cares what your food looks like? Or, or, or your fish lips? I mean, really, you know, we, we don't care. Uh, what, who really cares what kind of fun you're not having with your friends because you're too busy taking pictures of yourself to have fun? You know, many millennials became depressed and anxious because they, they did not think they were having as much fun as everybody else was pretending to have. Think about that. They, they, they felt entitled to always have this glamorous, fabulous, exciting life all the time like everyone else was having, not realizing that all that was just a marketing illusion. Older generations complained, but we taught them that the best things in life were found in material riches and popularity, better entertainment, better communication, more creature comforts and fabulous experiences. We often failed as a generation, though, to teach them the importance of serving others and, and serving God. Because most in other generations were, were too busy serving our own gods of consumerism and stuff. You know, there's a study on narcissism published in 2019 of 500,000 people that showed some troubling results. Uh, if we can put the table up there. Um, that, 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 that narcissism rates are on the rise in, in the generations. And, and you know, this, this consumer comfort that we've been pursuing since the silent generation, I think, has, has, has started to make monsters out of, out of children, making them more narcissistic than previous generations. Selfishness is on the rise, and, and the service of others is in decline. Most organizations struggle today for volunteers from younger generations. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is a survey of 50,000 people, discovered significant drops in, um, go on the next slide, in uh, younger generations' interest in serving others, from 34% to 22% in just a few generations. Um, uh, this has also affected us having service through charitable giving in the church, according to Barner Group. If you bring up the next chart, um, or the, I guess this is church attendance. Look at, look at how the numbers kind of correlate um, going downward in terms of uh, even church participation. And then the next slide is on giving rates. And, and you see 
that, that um, we're becoming less likely to give for the benefit of others, even in the church. You know, the biblical standard is, is, is 10%. You know, and do all in the church today in America then consider to serve themselves first instead of God? And, and friends, what will happen if this trend keeps going and it continues to get worse? You know, for the disciple, the opposite attitude of entitlement is gratitude. We give and serve God for how he has richly given to us. We serve him with love because of the love he expressed to us on the cross. Romans 1, chapter 1, if you read it, seems to be happening right in our generation. You know, we tend to focus on the bad behavior at the end of that passage, but the root problem was this. In, in verse 21, it says, For all they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God, and give thanks to him. And I believe the church needs to stop acting so entitled in our generation and go back to living and teaching lives of humble service to God. Otherwise, this church, all churches, and our culture is doomed. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the text I read earlier today says this, will, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come from the field, come at once and recline at my table? And Jesus starts by saying, will any one of you, and Jesus is speaking here to his own disciples. This is not a parable. This is an illustration that applies to each and every one of us who follow Jesus. In the previous verses, Jesus asked his disciples to do something very, very hard for all of us to speak the truth and love to others, and, and to forgive others that hurt us. And, and his apostles, they understood how hard that was, and they said, Lord, increase our faith, which might be complete dependency on God, or it actually could be an entitled attitude saying, Lord, it's too hard to do your work. And so Jesus might have had to need or needed to help his own disciples understand their proper relationship to God. And, and so to improve some entitled attitudes in their culture, they, they would all have to understand this relationship between a servant and a master. You know, in our culture today, we have different ideas of what a master is today, and it's often a, a very offensive thing. And when, when Jesus used the word, he's actually using the word doulos, or slave. Now, slavery was a very negative thing for us culturally because of the brutal and forced kind of slavery that was put on our African brothers and sisters by many of our ancestors. And the Bible was often used to justify enslaving people in the past generations. And friends, that is simply a sin of men and women, not the will of God that we should make slaves of one another. Scripture had been misinterpreted to justify men's wicked actions. Jesus in this text is not condoning slavery. He's using something very common in their culture as an illustration. Jesus, who came to set us free, does not endorse slavery. He set us to be free indeed. And also, slavery in the first century 
was much different from what was cruelly imposed on our African brothers and sisters. This word doulos in the New Testament refers to someone who was a bond slave. In, in the first century, a third of the Roman population were bond slaves. And another third had formerly been bond slaves. So two-thirds of the people really knew what this was about. And, and slaves then were treated with mostly with more respect in this first century, not how they were treated in the first century of our country. Um, bond slaves could marry. They could accumulate wealth. They could purchase their own freedom. They could own a business. And, and according to Cicero, most uh, slaves were set free after seven years. And under Roman law, a slave was normally set free by age 30. And often, bond slavery was a choice of the person being enslaved for an economic reason. It, it provided consistent work. It, it provided a place to live. It, it provided a way for them to pay off their debts. At the, that time, the, the relationship between slaves and masters often was so mutually beneficial, many slaves chose to serve a good master for life, and they, they made that, that, that process permanent. Those, those slaves were considered part of the household, and they were trusted with many important business matters for their masters. You know, while we might find the idea of slavery very distasteful in our culture, where personal freedom is, is highly emphasized, don't many of us live like slaves to our jobs because of our debts, because of our wants, and because of the cost of, of modern life? Today, most of us do not have masters, but most of us have a boss. And some are good, and some are bad. And Jesus is saying our relationship to a good God is like a bond slave to his master or a boss to an employee. And they ask the question, does your boss, after a hard day of work, say, come right over and enjoy my luxuries. Come on over and jump in my swimming pool and eat my fine food. No. Or is he more likely to say to you, hey, you still have work to get done. Uh, you better get that done by morning. Don't come over, right? That's more likely. Most bosses today are not really that interested in a work-life balance, even if they're talking about what they're interested in cor is corporate profits and you being productive for them. And, and while they may not beat you today, mostly, they may fire you, right? They'll beat you economically. And, 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 and there are some good employers during profitable times and profitable industries that have realized to treat their workers well is a good thing. But they're not going to treat an entitled worker or a lazy employee well. No one is entitled to a job. A job is a privilege, and so you must treat it with integrity and diligence towards your master. And luxury only happens after the work is done. And so Jesus asks an important question here. Why don't enslaves enjoy the same luxury as their master? The answer is they're still slaves. They're obligated to do their job first. You know, everyone in the first century would have understood this. It's, it's our culture that doesn't get it. Many today who feel entitled to something, it's because they feel entitled just because they're breathing. And they just don't get this today. 
Jesus is saying to his disciples and his church, God is master, and he expects us to get his work done first. When Jesus tells his disciples to forgive, he's saying he's master, and he expects it to get it done. So if you're having trouble forgiving somebody, the master says get it done. Forgiveness is not about your feelings. It's the work of being a disciple. And a, and a very important work because it reflects well on your master because what is he known for? What's his business? Forgiving. Now there's another work mentioned in this verse, or a couple of them. There's plowing and there's shepherding. And friends, those are important duties of all disciples. We are to fulfill our master's commissioned to us in Matthew 28, 18 uh, through 20. All authority has been on heaven and earth has been given to me. What does that say? He's master. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all, or observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, to do that, we have to plow. Or, 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 or have lots of gospel conversations with, with other people. And, 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 and we also need to care for new disciples, which is like keeping or, or shepherding sheep. You know, this word keeping in the Greek means feeding. We must be constantly feeding those we disciple with God's word. If you're here today and you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, are you doing your job? Are, are you plowing? Uh, are you softening hard hearts so with your love and kindness and your forgiveness of others? Are, are, you, are you sowing the seeds in other people by having gospel conversations? I mean, plowing would be a total waste of time and your master's resources if you don't finish the work by sowing seeds. There are some Christians that say, oh, we just need to love people. We just need to love people. And yes, you do. But don't you need to share the gospel because that's true love? Would only doing half the job the master asked us to do please him? A plowed field is useless without it being seeded. By the same token, how healthy would a flock be if they're not fed? Brothers, are you feeding your children and your spouse the word of God? How invested do you get in your coworkers and your friends that you have shared Christ with? The, the Greek word for pastor means to, to take care of. Husbands and fathers, it is your first priority to shepherd your families. Our master expects us to. Wives and mothers, I, I am sure you make sure your family has food, that they eat right. But are you also feeding them with God's word? Are, are you making your teens go to youth group when they don't want to? Because they feel more entitled to spend time with their friends or, or social media or sports or recreation. Moms, don't you make them eat healthy food when they don't like it? Don't you? Because why? It's good for them. Right? God's word is the most nutritious diet they could be on. It makes them healthy both for this life and all eternity. 
they don't need to like it. If you love them, you'll force feed them if necessary. We and they like things that are not healthy. That's what we like. Hey, sin is fun. We all like that until the hangover, but we like unhealthy things. Like these three girls at youth camp came back being taught the word of God, fully spiritually nourished all week. Maybe their stomachs were not so good they did eat a lot of cotton candy. But their souls were full of good things. Friends, your, your want for luxury or, or, or doing what you like to do is often keeping you and I from doing what your master has asked us to do. What kind of servant, think back to the, 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 the verse, what kind of servant focuses on their own luxury when the master has work to be done? And I want you to think about this. What would happen right now if Jesus came and did a performance review on you as a disciple? And Jesus reminds us again of our proper relationship to God with another follow-up question. Will he not rather say to him, prepare for me, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink. Isn't that what a, a boss or a master would say? Get, get your work done first and then enjoy what you want to enjoy. Here, here, Jesus is talking about our priorities. Who do we serve first? God or ourselves? What, what comes first, me time or God time? Well, if you claim to be a servant of God, it's God. The master here says, prepare. How does a disciple prepare to serve well? Well, my wife has this saying, I really like it, it it's prepare and pre-prayer. Before we do the work of plowing and feeding, we must pray. Prayer is what softens the soil of hearts. And it also gives us the wisdom necessary to feed the sheep. You know, sheep are incredibly dumb creatures. They will eat the wrong thing if you let them. Even if it kills them, they'll eat it. See, prayer gives you the wisdom to know what kind of care those sheep need. And what they need is the gospel which is the power of God, according to the po Apostle Paul. Are, are you feeding your sheep the gospel of God's grace, or are you just feeding them religion? Do you know the gospel for yourself? Can you actually, actually share it with somebody else through the three circles? Do you know how to apply it to different situations of life? See, because, friends, the gospel is not just for evangelism. It's for discipleship. It's for the feeding or the caring for sheep. See, sheep often get caught in thickets of life, and the gospel is what frees them again. Friends, do you prepare yourself to love other people? See, disciples pre-pray so we are prepared to love people. 
and, and, and soften the soil of their hearts so that we can then sow the seed. As we pre-prayer, we show love for our master and we ourselves get the necessary strength to love others. Jesus said this in John 15, 6. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide means remain. Repairing means staying in relationship with our master God as good servants. The master provides all that we need to be successful. Friends, it's, it's his field. It's his sheep. It's his seed. It's his resources. How, how can we be successful for living entitled, having our own time, our own luxuries, watching TV, interacting with social media and recreation, and then say, hey, I don't have time to pray or, or feed on your word. Friends, preparing for work is part of a slave's duty. For if they're not strong, how can they do their master's work well? Jesus also said this in John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you um, wish, whatever you, whatever, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, reading and, and prayer, reading the Bible and prayer is how we prepare for God's work. Another way for bond slaves to prepare is to be dressed properly. This, this phrase, dress properly, in the Greek is, uh, uh, also means gird your loins, which, which is what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13. He stripped off all of his clothes and he put a towel around his waist so he could get busy cleaning the filth off of his own disciples. To disciple others, you need to be prepared to deal with the filth of their sin. And like Jesus, you are to go without any pretense of status. You are to be naked or transparent about your own status as an unworthy servant of God. You can't be like Peter who said, Oh, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I'm, I'm good. No dirt here. I don't need no gospel cleaning. Jesus said to him, If I don't wash you, you're not my servant, and you have no share with me. Friends, to be a good servant, we must strip off all of our pride and all of our status to humbly serve him. We, we can't be entitled thinking we're better than others. We must gird our loins and humbly serve others in their filth, just like Jesus. Again, Paul tells us to prepare uh, like this in Ephesians 6, 14 and 15. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That word fastened there is, is also that same phrase, gird your loins. See, a soldier has to prepare for action. And, and as his disciples, are, are you prepared for the battle of each day? You know, most people here, you all look good. Maybe a little rain uh, got in your hair, but you mostly you have your combed hair and your brushed teeth and and you did all that before you came here but friends are, are you a servant prepared to do battle today are you prepared to do battle because what we're doing right now what we're doing right now 
is wrestling against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Before I come here every morning, I am praying my armor on. Because I'm coming here to do battle. Are you? Or are you just here in your pretty clothes saying, feed me, pastor. Take care of my kids, pastor. Don't let me sit next to that odd person that makes me uncomfortable at church. Oh, that coffee better be good. It's a little stale last time. I hope they play the songs I like. How do we fight a battle? If your girds are not loined and you're just here resting in your little comfort zone. Friends, you are here to serve your master, God, with thanks and praise. Or are you just here to be served? Friends, you are here today to serve your brothers and sisters, aren't you? Or are you just here for a pleasant experience for yourself and your children? Is Sunday about your master's glory or about yours? I want you to notice something in this text, that this is a good master. He's a good master. And if you have the relationship correct and, and you don't act entitled, he will take care of your needs. You know, Jesus' illustration says, and afterwards you will eat and drink. And friends, that's a, a promise that when we serve our master's needs first, we will be taken care of. Because see, this master cares about you. And, and he wants you to eat well. But entitlement will leave you hungry. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of, among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Friends, are you entitled? Or are you a busybody? Busybody servant. Busybodies are busy doing their own thing, gossiping, talking about the problems at the church, talking smack about their master, complaining about the work and, and complaining about all the other servants. See, all that is idleness or making yourself the idol instead of doing the work of a servant. The good master provided the good ground to grow the food. He provided the seed. He provides the water and makes it grow. But there is no crop to eat because the servants were idle. So whose fault is that? Maybe the busybodies who were supposed to be plowing and feeding sheep. The word serving here is the Greek word daikano, which is literally means to wait on tables. It's the same word we get the title deacon from. And friends, if you're a deacon in this church, you're no big deal. Entitled to special treatment, you're a servant to those we serve. If you have a, a, a list of families assigned to you to take care of, caring for them is your first priority before your luxury. It's not for something when you, when you get around to it after you, know, you do all those, quote, important responsibilities. For any leader here at this church, you are all daikano. 
or, or, or servants first. What did, what did Jesus say to the disciples after he washed their feet? Do you not understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I don't care what kind of leadership position you're in here at this church or any other church. Friends, you're first a servant. Well, you might say, well, well, I, I don't do evangelism. I, I, I don't do children. I, I, I don't give announcements. I, I, I don't like to greet people at church. I'm a little shy. I, I don't pray in public. It makes me uncomfortable. I, I, I do not prefer to work lights or sounds or production computer. I, I just want to sit here. You know, cleaning up after others is gross. Don't put me on that hospitality duty. You know, you should hire professionals to do the dirty work, like when we have a work day and all that sweaty, muscular work. I don't get my hands dirty. Nurseries? Ew. Babies leak and they cry. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll serve on the praise team. When it's fun... And everybody's just looking at me. You may have gifts for ministry. Things that you're very gifted at. But Jesus is saying here, you are first a servant. And if a job needs to be done to serve your brothers and sisters, Nike it. Nike it. Just do it. Just do it. Now you don't need my permission to do it. Just do it. As your pastor, there's not a job in this church that I'm too good to do. You know why I know that? Because I've done it. When some of you don't step up to serve, I've had to fix toilets. I've cleaned smelly grease traps. I've taken out garbage, spread mulch, diapered babies, gone with teens to camp, managed construction projects, done demolition, um, computer repair, website building, dealt with legal issues, sometimes changing sump pumps and vacuum out water out of the basins. We may have to do that later today. And you know, none of those things are in my job description. I don't, I don't have to do any of those things. They're not in my job description. But being a servant is. And if it needs to be done to care for the master's affairs, I will do it. Will you? Will you? Or are you a specialist who only does what I'm gifted at? you understand what Jesus has done for you? Yeah, yes, there's a time to work at what you're called for or, or good at. But first you're called to be a servant. See, slaves don't pick and choose what they're willing to do. They, they do what needs to be done to please their master. And if you're a disciple, your master's needs come first before your needs. And I'm not the master here. I'm just another servant. But, but how do you think the master feels if one servant has to do more work than all the other servants because the other servants feel entitled to only do what they want to do? And, and his own servant is, is too busy doing all their work instead of doing what the master has called that servant to do. Are the master's needs going to be met? No. If, if you take one of your best plowers and shepherds away to clean toilets and maintain buildings, how much is going to be produced for your master? 
So the master has not called a few servants to work for others so that they can have luxury. He has called them all to work together to produce much for the master so they can celebrate together the master's goodness. And he is glorified when everyone serves, not when just a few are exhausted and the majority are idled and entitled, complaining that they just didn't get their desserts or their just desserts. Now, friends, we have many great servants at Crosswinds. We, we do. This is a wonderful place. So I'm preaching the choir a bit here. But all of us can act a little entitled sometimes. Jesus is saying to us servants, remember what you are. Now, some servants who work hard might not feel like they're getting the appreciation that they deserve. And Jesus says, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? Did you ever hear someone say, I paid them a compliment? Why do we say that? Because compliments are a form of payment, right? You're a bond slave. What are you looking for a compliment for? Because you were commanded to do that, to be kind to another servant. You're commanded to do it. And, and bond slaves don't get paid. Disciples work for the Lord, not for compliments. Now, it's not to say a compliment's a bad thing, but disciples work for the Lord, not for compliments. Plowing or reaching others with the gospel is hard work. It's often thankless work. Caring for the, the, the needs of sheep is also thankful, thankful, thankless work. They often just complain, bah, bah, bah. That's a fine sheep wine. Bah. They, they poop a lot after you feed them. And sometimes they bite you. But slaves work to please their master, not to be paid by sheep. Sometimes there's no reward in, or instant gratification in, in serving your master. Sometimes you are punished for serving well. You know, we have an expression in my family, no good deed goes unpunished. Being a disciple is often a thankless job. All Jesus' apostles that he's speaking to served well, but none of them got a book deal. And then none of them got a full calendar of speaking engagements with adoring crowds. Some were crucified upside down. Some were cut in two. Some were boiled in oil. And Jesus' own brother wasn't entitled. He got thrown off a roof. Are, are, you, are you working for God because of how it makes you feel to give back to others? And, and, and so others will think well of you? Friend, you're, you're hired as a bond slave. You're not, or are you a hired hand? Hired hands just move on when things get tough. Servants have to dig in and, and do what it takes because they love their master. They don't love the roar of the crowd. And so Jesus ends his illustration with this. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And Jesus starts this by 
So you also, who's Jesus talking to? His disciples, to us. And he promises us that our work will often be thankless as a true disciple. And, and, and Jesus shares the proper attitude of a servant. That when we, when we do what we are commanded to do, friends, we've only done the bare minimum. And so there's no need for a parade or any fanfare. Anything we are commanded to do is, is nothing compared to the privilege of serving our master. A, a disciple should never say, I have this to do, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. You know, friends, do you remember that old Dunkin' Donut commercial where the old baker would get up at all hours and say, time to make the donuts? When I'm tired, and when I'm exhausted from working, and Kathy is still in bed when I leave the house, I, I often look at her and go, time to make the disciples. <laughs> Ministering to others <laughs> is often hard. It's often monotonous. But now, right now, friends, is the time we have to do it. And friends, we don't have to do it. We get to do it. We get to do it. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that we have been called and chosen for. And, and Jesus says we should say we are unworthy servants. Friends, we are, we are not servants who should be praised because of our obedience, even the best of us. We have all left more undone than we got done. In King James Version, it says unprofitable servants. See, there's a huge cosmic imbalance between what you and I have done and what we've been given in Jesus Christ. Our, our itty-bitty little bit of obedience compared to his extravagant grace is nothing. He, friends, has trusted us as his servants to be his ambassadors in this world. How awesome is that? And it's our, our duty to serve him because of how greatly he served us first. If you think you've bowed your head too low to serve Jesus, remember, he bowed first considerably lower. Philippians 2, 4 through 6 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Friends, Jesus was not entitled. Instead, he gratefully served his father. Do you remember what he did the night before he was crucified? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. Even when he was being betrayed by his own treasurer, Judas, he gave thanks. Though Jesus was rich, could have been entitled, he became poor to serve us. Though Jesus was the most gifted intellect in any room, he humbly taught and washed ignorant men's feet. Even though we spit upon him and mocked him, he dutifully did his job and 
carried his cross. Through agony and laboring for every breath on the cross, Jesus did not give up and say it's too much because we were the joy set before him and he endured it for you and for the glory of his Father. He finished his master's work of saving us by paying for our sins, dying for us on that cross. And, and then he, he didn't lay idle in the grave for three days. He defeated the devil and rolled away the stone and walked out alive again and alive forever. Because obedient Jesus did his job as a humble servant. His father gave him status of king of the universe. And every knee will bow and up, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Yours will bow to him. Your knee will bow to him. Because he, the servant, was the greatest of all. And disciple, if he's called you, you get to serve him. It's a privilege to serve him. And if you think that way, someday you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And fellow servant, you will not be welcomed as a slave, but as a son or daughter of God into his kingdom. But friend, if you act entitled, if you act entitled to his grace and you are lazy and you don't serve him with a grateful heart, he might say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Oh, you may have called him Lord, Lord, Lord. But he knew it was just lip service. Even if he did some mighty works in his name, he knows you didn't serve him. You served yourself. He did not know you because you were not with him. You were not in proper relationship with your master as a grateful bondservant. And so you chose to live this life entitled as master of your own destiny. Congratulations. You're entitled to go into eternal punishment. See, you're going to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan wrote in one of his songs. It may be the devil, and it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, Romans 6.16. If you're entitled, instead of serve, your, your, your sin leads to eternal death. But if you're an obedient, grateful servant of God, it leads to righteousness in his everlasting kingdom. Friends, I want you to choose this day who you will serve. The consumer gods of your fathers? Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I hope that you will come with me and Nike it. Just do it. Bow your knee to him and do it. Because there's glory and honor in the path of a servant not being entitled. Let us pray.
Father, I thank you that you called me out of darkness into your wonderful light. I'm an unworthy servant, but you chose me, and I will serve you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that, that they have that same attitude, that they're, they recognize their unworth because of anything that they've done, but that you have called them worthy, that you have called them out of darkness into your light, and you have saved them to serve and Father, let them do a good job and hear someday, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Father, if there's anybody here today considering what they serve, Father, let them know that salvation is a, a change of authority. It's moving from you having authority of your life to making Jesus your master and Lord. And one path is death and the other path is life. And let them choose life and choose Jesus because in him is abundant life. In him is abundant joy. Father, let them make that turn right now. Holy Spirit, come. Come and work in everybody's heart. Better to be a slave to a good God than bad sin. Father, let them humbly come and bow their knee to you. Come and follow them. You are gentle and lowly of heart. Your burden is light. Sin's burden is heavy. Father, let them turn now and receive your grace and your mercy. For you are the good master. You are, you are the one that loves us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for teaching us not to be entitled to be humble in your service. In Jesus' name I pray.